0: Hillary, you get some tough ones to read, don't you? I do you do sometimes. But do you know what? God chooses you <laughs> for the tasks at hand because he knows you can deliver. Abelia's smiling. She's like, it's not me this time. <laughs> um, all right, so here's what I'm trying to do. We're going to try and walk through this together. Okay? All right. Let me tell you about Paul. Paul is this disciple of Jesus Christ. He's never actually met Jesus in person. So he's kind of like an imposter. He comes late on the scene. And in fact, he starts by being an enemy of Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Well, he worked for the temple authorities, you see. And they weren't very keen on Christians because Christians were undermining the authority of the temple by saying Jesus is the Messiah. Paul has this warrant in hand and he goes after them. His name is Saul at that point. And he says, Christians, you're not following the law. You're talking about not needing to follow the law in order to receive righteousness. And as Jews, we don't believe that. And and you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, I'm going to arrest you, I'm going to take you to trial. And Saul has this amazing conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Jesus confronts him, the spirit of Jesus, and says, Saul, man, why are you going for me? Why are you persecuting me? And of course, what Jesus meant is, why are you persecuting my followers? Saul is converted. He spends the next years in Antioch with the disciples. The disciples are bringing him up in the faith. They're teaching him all about Christianity. Paul is so excited, he can't wait to get out there and go evangelize. In the course of his lifetime, he sets up some four churches in Galatia, three in Macedonia, two in Greece. But the linchpin is Rome. Why? Rome at this time is the center, the epicenter of the civilized world. And Paul knew if Christianity can take hold in Rome, it will go to Africa. It will go to Asia. It will go through the rest of the known world. Paul knows this, and yet he's never been to Rome. There is a church in Rome. That's why the letter is called Letter to the Romans. And this church is important, Paul knows, because of this mission for evangelism, of which he has no direct control, and he can't teach them directly, he can't visit them, On top of that, the church mission in Rome is in peril. It's in danger. What's happened is that there are teachers who have come in and they have begun teaching something other than what Paul was teaching. They have begun teaching that actually, hey, the Messiah is great. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and that's great, but but, that's not all you do to be saved. You need to follow the law. You need to follow Torah. You need to follow the purification rites. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow all the Jewish laws as best you can. And I reckon Paul thought about this having been a Jew, being a Jew. I reckon he thought about this and thought, you know, on the surface, it probably sounds okay. Right? He says in Romans, God created the law. The law was good. Everything that God creates is good. Further, the law is there to help us But Paul suddenly has this realization at some point, I don't know when, but he suddenly realizes that actually there's two things going on here it's about power and authority. Now, the power and authority that had interceded in Paul's life were directly from Jesus himself. In other words, it wasn't through following Torah or the commandments that Paul met Jesus. And Paul was presented with a choice Up to that point, he had not known Jesus Christ and had been a good, observant Jew. He says the best of the best. You know, it wasn't hard to follow the law. Paul Paul kind of gives us that, that idea. Actually, it wasn't hard to follow the law. You know, there's a whole court system set up around this. There's a whole community in the temple to help you follow the law. It wasn't hard to do. And so it wasn't that it was impossible to follow the law. But Paul began to understand that there was a conflict between the law and Jesus Christ. How does this happen? He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to law. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. How is it that something intended for good, the law, is then corrupted by sin? Paul thinks about this. And he has this to say. So now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been shown. It has been disclosed. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a little footnote in your Bibles. It's an important New Testament footnote. This footnote in my Bible is is denoted with the letter D. This letter D uh, equates to about... A hundred thousand pages of theological argument about what this actually means. And I'll tell you what I mean. In the Greek, faith in Jesus Christ is spelled pistis Christu. But the problem with pistis christu when we interpret it in English is it actually means two things. Two slightly different things. It does, in fact, mean faith in Jesus Christ. When I believe, I have faith in Jesus Christ, and so that saves me. It also means faith of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to condense all these pages of theology, I'll just say this New Testament scholars, I believe, believe it means one or the other or both. I tend to think it means both. The Bible's complex. It can handle it. Paul is talking about faith in Jesus Christ. I believe. I choose to believe. Paul's also talking about the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus' faith is what saves us as well as our faith in Jesus Christ. Without, are, we, are you with me so far? Does this make sense? Okay. Without complicating things too much, let me say this. The difference that this little translation makes, and it, it crops up again in Galatians 3 and 4. The faith of Jesus Christ and the faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had no faith in Jesus Christ until Jesus came along and said, time for reckoning. And in some ways, you might be able to say Jesus gave his faith to Paul. Because who knows, had not Jesus directly intervened in Saul's life, he may never have become Paul. Who knows? And yet, at the same time, with that, we are also called to choose Jesus Christ and say, yes, I believe. How confusing is that? It's actually not confusing Because the question is... We talk about power and authority. The question, translated, is about lordship. In the Roman times, it was very easy to take all this different stuff, and they tried to do the same thing with Christianity as well. All the pagan gods, all the pagan practices, just combine them all together. It's all one thing. Practice what you want, but make sure you worship the emperor make sure because this is what unites us that's what rome said this is what unites us we come together under the emperor nero emperor nero sets up a statue of himself in the jewish temple and orders all jews to worship him of course nero was not a very popular guy so he's assassinated by his own people before this ever happened What Paul insists on and what the early Christians insist on is saying this is the difference Jesus makes. He will not allow us to do that because we are set apart. Our lordship is in Jesus Christ. Paul takes that same way of thinking and he turns it to the Jewish Christians and he says, and with you, He said, I've spoken to the pagans. I've spoken to the Gentiles. And he says, with you, Jewish Christians, you cannot transfer your lordship back and forth between the law and Jesus Christ. There is only one Lord. Finally, Paul has this thing. He says, if you don't understand this, and this is complicated, boys, be still, okay? Can you sit down? Boys, Max, Ralph, I need you to sit down. Thank you. With the issue of lordship, Paul simplifies it. It's like this. Lordship is what you do when you die and you are raised back to life in Jesus Christ. Back to life in Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? We die to all the old ways. We die to everything else that is not Jesus. We die to self. We die to everything out there. We die to the law. We die to everything. And then we come back to life in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is about. Coming back to life. Transferring lordship to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a story. I worked with two gentlemen in another church. Two very different sets of circumstances. I'll tell you about John first. John was a young man. I'm not using his real name. He's a young man who'd been in and out of prison. And his crime was he kept on soliciting underage girls around the age of 15, which is against the law. And he knew it. And he would go online and he'd get in touch with, them. he'd purport to be someone their age. He'd lie and say, you know, this is me, I'm, I'm your age. Police caught him, arrested him. Eventually he went to prison. The second time that he'd come out of prison, he came to us, and the police came to us. And the police said, he's requested to be here in this church. This is the church I was working in. Because he thinks that this is the only place he'd be welcome. And we said, yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) And we had to appoint a kind of attendance person, a chaperone to be with him when he was in the services when he'd come to life groups six months later John came to faith and he was baptized and I'll never forget that look as he came out of the water I've never seen such joy in a man's face cold cold but joyful. A year after that, we lost track of him a little bit. We, we couldn't get hold of him. He stopped attending life groups. He stopped coming to church. Weeks went by. Months went by. And we learned that he'd been arrested again for soliciting Again. And you see, he had come on a hard time. And instead of relying on his church family, he fell back on what he knew, which was the way of sin and death. And the police were ready to throw the book at him. When we went to visit him in church, or or in prison rather, The chaplains refused us access to him because they said, he doesn't deserve your visit. We're not going to let you visit him. Christian chaplains. We're not going to let you visit him. That's John. Then there's Peter. Peter came to us in the twilight years of his life, in his 60s, not very good health, not a rocket scientist but you know fairly switched on and Peter was generally a good guy lived a good life worked took care of his kids Uh, his wife had passed away but he was not a follower of Jesus and one day we were talking about sin in one of our life groups and he said I I haven't ever done anything wrong. He said, honestly, I can't think of anything that I've ever done wrong. And I said, aha, okay. But instead of trying to pull out of him, try and go searching for something, we prayed with and for him. And we did the same with John through the power of the Holy Spirit. Over the weeks and months after that, Peter had this experience. He had some dreams, and he was reminded of a time earlier in his life when he had pledged his allegiance and made oaths to a secret society. And he said to me, "He said, I don't feel good about this. I don't. There's something not quite right about it. It it doesn't feel right, and it feels like God wants me to do something about it." I said, "Peter, you're right." You're right. God has a thing about secret societies because he has a thing about lordship. And in a secret society, you have to declare allegiance to something other than Jesus Christ. And I said, That's what the Holy Spirit's showing you, Peter. Peter developed serious stage four cancer the next month. Six weeks after that, he was dead. But like John, I had never seen a happier face. And he went to his death a happy man. Knowing the joy of Jesus Christ in those last weeks of his life. And it made a difference for him. And I tell you what. A couple weeks living in faith in Jesus Christ, that's enough. That's enough for any human being. The joy that comes out of that. Now... Peter had come good. What happened to John? And this is is where it gets tough. John is, was, and always will be a part of our church family. A believer in Jesus Christ, baptized, saved. He is on a difficult journey at the moment. And he's messed up big time. Now the law would say there's no place for John. There's a place for Peter, because Peter's come good, but there's no place for John. And what my lordship tells me is that the law's wrong. And we gotta hold on to John through the good times and the bad. We gotta hold on in the faith of Jesus Christ. we got to hold on for that death and resurrection to happen. We have to hold on tight. Now, this is the mission I think that we're called to. In all of our lives and the lives of folks out there, this is the mission that we are called to. To hold on tight. This is our family. And there are folks out there who are suffering, struggling. Some of them are Christians, some of them are not. But they all need a Lord. And they all need Jesus Christ. And a lot of them wouldn't know it, but they got something as Lord. They got something as the law in their life. And what I want and what Jesus wants and hopefully what you want is for them to know who their Lord is in Jesus Christ. I have a very simple job here. Very simple mission. Not easy, but simple. To help people understand that they have a Lord in Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. To help people know through the power of the Holy Spirit that they have a Lord in Jesus Christ. And he wants to go all in with them. He wants to be Lord of their finances. He wants to be Lord of their personal lives, of their relationships, of their marriages. He wants to be Lord of their past so he can redeem it. He wants to be Lord of their family, even the Christians and non-Christians in their family. He wants to be Lord of everything. At all times and in all places. And I'm here to tell you that between your faith in Jesus and his faith as a gift to you, they'll get there. We'll get there. You'll get there. truth is just waiting to be birthed to break through into the lives of so many people and you know some of them you know your disciple zeros okay you've been praying for them I hope we got the Johns and we got the Peters we got the poles. And we need them all. We need them all. Amen.